everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 41 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also follow RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to keep up with Jason and I as we travel around with our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, we are over at OurWanderingFamily.com, and we are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. On today's episode, we're going to talk about some tips and tricks for entertaining at your RV, for having some people over and, you know, having a little barbecue. Party little, time. Party. We're also going to talk about Petrified Forest National Park, which is one of the places we visited on our sort of whirlwind last two weeks where uh, thank you for indulging us in our little skipped episode last week. We, we were uh, a little packed with the activities and driving that we had to do over the time that, uh, that it's taken since we've talked to you last. And let's be honest. We were, <laughs> we were really exhausted. Yeah. We were had been traveling a lot. We were headed to California to see family, to see my brother and his wife and their new little baby who is just perfect and wonderful. And when it just came down to it, being up in the San Bernardino Mountains and the stress that came with that because it wasn't the greatest weather while we were camped up there and then having to drive down out of the mountain to go and visit family in Covina, it just became the idea of the podcast just became really, really stressful. And we knew that if it's stressful, that means it's time for a break. So after 40 episodes, 40 weeks, we basically carried this podcast to term (laughs) and then decided to take a break. (laughs) So we gave this podcast a break last week and the National Parks podcast is on a break this week. And uh, in, in the meantime, we since we talked last, we were in Las Vegas and we we took our trip to LA and had a lot of fun visiting LA. And then we started making our way up route 66 from LA. So we went through Arizona and, uh, and New Mexico and Texas. And now we are in Oklahoma city. And it was not supposed to be the kind of drive that we turned these last five days into. We left California on a Friday And we were going to slow travel our way back to the Midwest. And it just so happened that my brother, who lives in Oklahoma City, had uh, a team house. He's a professional gamer. And he had a team house that was empty for the month of May. So he offered it to us. So we decided to make the, I think it was 1,100 miles. We decided to do that in five days, and which is a lot for Wanderbus to pull in five days. We did a lot of boondocking and I think we rolled into Oklahoma yesterday, probably the most road weary we have ever been. Yeah. I think this is really in the 18 months, 19 months we've been on the road. The first time I walked into a sticks and bricks and was like, thank you so much. Yeah. The, the heat didn't help. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it was 95 degrees yesterday. And, uh, in this house is, well air conditioned. <laughs> they really know how to do their air conditioning here in Oklahoma. So it was a nice, it's a nice break. The kids are thrilled. They've got their uncle and their auntie 
with them now for several weeks. They're thrilled to be here. And of course, Jack, if you listen to this podcast, you will know Jack is beyond excited, our 10-year-old, because he has unlimited Wi-Fi now. <laughs> yeah, not even Wi-Fi. He's plugged into plugged into the cable. Yeah, he's, he's got that's it, like super speed for him. Christmas came early for Jack. <laughs> Christmas and his birthday. So anyway, that's what we have been up to the last two weeks. But we are thrilled to be back here for the podcast this week. So one news item I wanted to talk about this week and then one tip I wanted to give you. So first, the news item. We talked about this time last year when we were first starting the podcast about the the highly increased number of ticks that were out in the increased number of Lyme disease cases last year because the warm winter caused the population to just explode and areas that weren't used to having ticks were getting ticks. So doctors were saying, there's no way you have Lyme disease. We don't get ticks around here when people were actually getting Lyme disease. Well, it turns out Hey, we had another warm winter, even though it might not feel like it because there was a lot of snow around the country. Yeah, I feel but like it, some people might be arguing <laughs> that right now, especially our friends in Chicago. But it was it was another warm winter. And they are saying that ticks and mosquitoes and the and the diseases that they carry are up threefold from last year. That's, I'm not going outside at all this insane. summer. The, the amount of cases of Lyme disease and Zika virus and all that sort of stuff. So be really careful this year. We have an article that we put out last year that you should go back and check out. We'll link to in the show notes that is all about preventing pests in your campsite. And I think that goes really hand in hand with what we're going to talk about today in the entertaining portion of the podcast. The other thing I wanted to mention before we get into our featured topics today is, you know, we've we've been using the Gas Buddy app a lot, especially in this this jaunt from L.A. to Oklahoma City because fuel prices are are going up and they were way up in California, as everybody knows. You know, diesel was almost four dollars. I think it was over four dollars in a couple spots. It was it was four twenty. Wow. And by the time we made it back to Oklahoma, we went from 420 for diesel in California to 298, I think, here in Oklahoma. Yeah. And we've seen a couple 270s, 280s along the way. We were thrilled once it like hit $3. We thought we'd won the lottery. (laughs) So the Gas Buddy app is very useful. If you don't know, we've talked about it before. It's one of our favorite apps for finding fuel prices around you. And a couple things that I didn't know about because I'd never gone onto their desktop website, but they have a couple cool features on their desktop website that I thought you ought to know about. The first one is their trip cost calculator. So if you want to figure out what your fuel is going to cost you over the course of a trip, you can put in your start destination and your end destination and the vehicle you're driving. And if you know your fuel mileage, you put that in. It will show you the stations that you're going to stop at to get the best fuel prices for the mileage that you get on your journey. And it's going to say, you know, you should only put this much in at this station because you're going to go down further down the road and add more. And I think it's really cool way to save a lot of money. Another feature that they have is a fuel logbook. So you can go on to the Gas Buddy website and enter all the different 
fuel stops you have, how much you put in, how much it cost, and then you have a digital logbook of all of your fuel stops and it tells you what fuel mileage you're getting. So you can see that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, my, my RV gets 11 miles a gallon, mine gets 14. And you can really see if you do something like this in which parts of the country you get better mileage. Because obviously if you're going up a lot of steep inclines and things like that, you're gonna get worse mileage. Or if you're spending a lot of time in the city, you're gonna get worse mileage. So you can see once you've sort of filled that all out, what kind of gas mileage you get or diesel mileage you get in different situations. So I thought that was really cool. I would be terrified to know what we were getting. When Isn't we that were- good? Some people, the, <laughs> yeah. the flip side of this is you can just say, well, it's not good and yeah. don't, don't care. You just keep, you just keep putting just the money keep on in. Tracking. There's two things about that that I thought of immediately. I did not want to know the fuel mileage we were getting when we were in the Nevada, California area because we had some pretty epic mountains we had to climb up into to get to our campsite. The second is that I might actually cancel my trip if I put in the mileage from where I start to where I finish in Wanderbus and then I was told how much money I was going to spend. Right. And a lot of people think that you you gain, say, say you go up a mountain pass that you gain that fuel mileage back going down the other side. Those people have obviously never had to fill up Those an people, RV. <laughs> well, here's the thing that could, that in, in physics, the idea that you, you cannot, you know, create the, or destroy energy that going up, going up a hill should give you the same energy going down it is it, true. But the, the problem with that theory is that in an RV or a, car or any sort of vehicle you would have to go to the top of that mountain and then travel down it without braking yeah <laughs> to, to save all that fuel mileage to gain that fuel mileage back which of course is impossible yeah wonder bus would have been on like the side of the off the cliff and you'd have to be able to coast for you know <laughs> yeah miles beyond the end of the mountain from the speed that you gained going 150 miles downhill That is not to say that you aren't happy to see that downhill and get to sort of let off the gas for a while and make a little bit of that up. But a lot of times for me, I always think, oh, we're going downhill. That just means we're going to have to go back up again later. (laughs) I'd rather get to the top and just watch it plateau and just go straight. I'll tell you another another big thing that affects your fuel mileage is the wind and especially driving through where we are now, Oklahoma and the northern part of Texas and and uh, New Mexico, and that wind can get crazy. And the wind generally goes from west to east, and sometimes it goes in some weird directions. But I think we we spent a lot more on fuel heading west than when when we had really bad winds. I mean, I couldn't get the bus over fifty miles an hour for a few spots because the wind was so strong. Well, yeah. And the inside of the van, if you lift up the hood has like a layer of red dust in it Yeah, because the wind was so bad and we have to clean that out. But coming back this way, we had the wind at our tail, giving us a little push, a little bit of steady downhill. Yeah. We got like an extra three miles an hour off that wind. (laughs) It was great. We were going 58 as opposed to 55. (laughs) All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll have the long-awaited answer to two weeks ago's brain teaser. 
and we will talk about entertaining in your RV. Be right back. All right, we are back with the answer to last week's brain teaser. Two weeks Two ago. weeks ago's brain teaser. Two weeks. Pardon me. What falls but never breaks? What breaks but never falls? They're closely related, but never there at the same time. And the answer was, night falls and day breaks. We got a lot of answers on this one. Yes, this is a good one. Too. And people had a couple weeks to get their answers in, too. <laughs> so that was nice. <laughs> So congratulations to Lizzie Johnson of Texas. She is our winner this week of a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. Congratulations, Lizzie. And we will have a new brain teaser at the end of the show. So a new guest contributor, Darla Preston, on the website, wrote an article for us called Entertaining from Your RV. And it's a really good article about, you know, those types of situations where you, you pull up into town and you want to have some friends you know over to hang out at your RV or if you want to bring some other people that you met at the campground and uh, entertain or, or maybe you're gathering four or five families together on a camping trip at a campground and one site is going to be sort of the, the big dinner site base. for the night. The yeah, big it's home, big base. home base. So she put together this article uh, about some of the things that you need to think about when you're going to entertain from your RV because it's not the same situation as when you're in a home. No. And I always felt that entertaining in our home was a little stressful to begin with. So the idea of doing it in the RV was not at all something I was ever thinking about. But I will say that I felt a little bit more confident after reading this article, especially about having birthday parties for the kids. You know, that's one thing we've never been big birthday party people in the sense that we throw these big shindigs or, you know, we go off site to a big event for the kids' birthdays. We usually keep them to just kind of family, but there will come a time and there has been times when the kids want to have friends over for a birthday party. And even the idea of that, doing something like that inside Wanderbus or outside just felt really stressful to me. And I'm not quite sure why I can't put my finger on it, but this article really sort of encourages me to not allow that stress to think I can't do it. So Darla put together a ton of tips here. We're not going to go through them all here. Uh, we're going to just give you a few ideas and then you can check out the article and get some more details on your own. But she breaks it up in a few different sections. And the first one, I think the most important one is, is about preparation and that success for your event is in the preparation. So don't wing it. Really, when, when you're doing this sort of thing in an RV, everything's compacted, right? We don't have as much room in the fridge to store food. We don't have as many chairs. Uh, we need to have an outside space, obviously. That's where you're going to spend most of your time because you can't fit a lot of people inside. So you need even more time to prepare for something like this than you would if you're doing it at home. And you know, another thing I was thinking about with this article is it's really timely given the time of year that's coming up. Yeah. The fact that Memorial Day weekend is 
upon us soon. That's a big festive weekend for everyone to get together, barbecues, being outside, and plus the summer season is coming. One of the things I really liked, one of the tips that she offers right off the bat is before you really get into planning this event or even before you start emailing people or texting people, check with your campground, find out what the policy is about having people to your site. We got tripped up on this, not in this sort of scope that of having a party, but when we were up in the San Bernardino Mountains, we were staying at an Army Corps of Engineers site, and my brother was going to come and visit us. And without realizing it, you know, and I said, yeah, come on, come on over. You know, we'd love to see you. It would have cost him $7 to come into the campground. And that, I think, is one of the very first times we have experienced a charge to have a guest yeah, when at an Army Corps of Engineers When we've site. stayed at private campgrounds that have a pool and a beach, Sometimes you kind of expect that, you know? Yes, absolutely. So, but it's something to definitely think about and remember, not only is it going to cost people to come in that you might be bringing in, but where do they park? And do you have space for them on your campsite? Maybe you want to move your, your RV for the weekend to a group site that might have more tables or to a different campground for, for this event that you're having. Or sometimes your campground, especially private ones, will have large pavilions that you might be able to rent out or maybe not even rent, just kind of secure, you know, lay down, stake your claim for that day into that little area and have the event there. We certainly have seen that in the private campgrounds that we stayed at. I think a lot when we were at Fish Lake in Illinois, they would often have events in that pavilion. People who were staying at the campground, they would move their party over to there. Yeah, especially if you might need to have a rainy day option. Mm-hmm. You know, a pavilion can be a great spot to sort of shelter from the rain. And sometimes there's sort of a rental room even. How much food, how many drinks you need. Obviously, that's going to affect everything. You need to know how many people are coming and what kind of food and how much do you need to to feed them with. Are they going to be bringing it? Do you have room for the stuff that needs to be refrigerated? Do you need to ask somebody to bring a giant cooler and some ice so that you have additional refrigeration options? That's always good for beverages, especially. You don't really want to have people going in and out of your RV to grab beverages out of the fridge. And nobody wants to drink a hot beer. No. Additionally, you want to keep food safety tips in mind. And we did an article last year that breaks down some RVing and camping food safety tips that we'll link to in the show notes as well. And Darla has that linked in her article. And another thing about the article she mentions, too, that I really liked is the idea of what kind of environment are you camping in? So let's say you are in an area that's heavily mosquitoed or is really exposed to the sun. It's bright, sunny area. And perhaps you are having guests over who are not RVers, who are not in the same mindset that we are in, where we're generally kind of prepared for the outdoor environment. So she mentions even making sure that you have extra bug spray or that you have extra sunscreen on hand, because certainly I think most people are going to think, oh, I might need sunscreen. I'm going to be spending the day outside. But as RVers, that's always in our mind. So to have those extra things for your guests who maybe didn't think about what happens as the sun starts to go down and the bugs start to come out, you have some extra bug spray that you can offer your guests and keep everyone from being eaten alive. You know, what's 
really good for children. We, we travel with a tent that we use sometimes that we put up outside. We can take it on a camping. If we want to leave our RV somewhere and, and go camping in a campground that doesn't have RV sites, we can use it for that. But we have a tent with us, and it's great to put the little ones in to go in and play Legos and and do that sort of stuff where they can they can just sort of make a mess and you can go clean it up in that one area. So a tent is a really great thing to have on hand if you're going to have kids nearby. It's also nice, too, if you have guests that have little ones that are crawlers or new walkers, because then they can be in that space and they can crawl around and be active and not be down in the ground or not be under people's feet, but they can be a little bit more contained and still be a part of the party too. You're going to want to have enough seating for everybody. And usually that's going to mean people bringing in their own seats. Yeah. If you host a party and you have enough seats for everyone, I am very impressed with your storage capabilities because we carry enough chairs for the five of us because Storage is so precious. And you really can't count on your picnic table at your campsite as seating because that's probably going to be your sort of buffet table, your serving table where you put all the food for people to walk around and grab from. So they're not really going to be able to sit at it to eat. Generally, It's kind of like the catch all for the party. Everything just kind of goes there and lives there. That's kind of how we are, even without having a party. Like (laughs) we'll set things out there and then we'll go sit in our chairs often around the campfire and eat that way. Yeah. The picnic table for us is often more of a, a play place. It's where Legos happen. It's where you can find notebooks and pens and things that the kids want to, do and need a bigger table for we do not often use our picnic table as an actual food table it's more about just like catching everything setting the food up there and then going and sitting in our chairs so darla gives a whole bunch of preparation tips and then she goes in to talk about keeping it simple i think that's a mantra for our entire lifestyle is keeping everything simple So that there's not, you know, if you're going to a campsite and you're only going to be there for the night, don't make your setup so big so that you have to, you know, pack it all up the next day, so on and so forth. Keeping it simple makes RV life so much easier. And that goes for entertaining too. So have a potluck, have people bring stuff, keep the decorations simple. You know, nature is your decoration. I love potlucks, even if it's a big affair. I love potlucks. I just really enjoy seeing people bring what is their item or that they enjoy eating. That's what that's always been my favorite thing about Thanksgiving is it's always like everyone brings what they're really good at making. Yes. So, you know, and and it's always the sort of treat that they don't make a lot, that it's something that really uh, excites them. I know. And I am. (laughs) I am so good at making Rice Krispie treats. So that's what I bring (laughs) or brownies. (laughs) So we really love this article from Darla. We hope she'll be writing for us some more and we hope you check out all the other tips and tricks that she gives on this post on the website that we'll link to in the show notes as well. And we'd love to hear about any RV entertaining that you've done. So if you have done any RV entertaining and have any tips and tricks and send us an email at editor at rvmiles.com or send us a Facebook message or a Twitter direct message, whatever you want to do to reach out to us. We're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Petrified Forest National Park, a really cool park. Very cool park. 
Be back in a moment. So as we mentioned earlier, we've been traveling back from Los Angeles along Route 66, mostly I-40, and then dropping off to to catch the little bits of Route 66 that that uh, that don't follow I-40. And uh, and I think we're going to do another episode in the future on on traveling Route 66 because we've pretty much done the whole thing now. We're close to. Yeah, we will have done the whole thing soon. Yeah, and we just got a really cool recommendation for some things to do around here in the Oklahoma City area from a gentleman who's in the America's National Parks Facebook group. So I'm excited to explore Arcadia, Oklahoma and a place called Pops and then talk about it on a future podcast for sure. But one of the cool things, one of the quintessential Route 66 destinations is Petrified Forest National Park. And I got to say, at first, I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't too crazy about visiting this place. It's really the first National Parks Service destination that I felt like that about. And I think it's because some of the pictures I've seen and, and stuff, I felt like I, you know, had seen it. And I, I, I didn't really need to see it in person. And boy, was I wrong. Talk about. I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you should never underestimate the National Park Service. Talk about a surprise destination. I mentioned that to a couple people on Twitter that this was one of those parks where we thought we were going to be underwhelmed. We were going because we were going to be passing right by it. And how many times do you have an opportunity to go to a national park? You take it. And it just kept being, wow, wow. Oh, wow. Over and over to the point where we ended up staying so long that the destination we were supposed to be going to, which was a New Mexico state park we were going to stay at, it was going to be too late for us to arrive. So we opted to boondock again for the third night in a row so that we could stay in this park longer and spend more time with the park. Yeah. And it's not a huge park. It's, it's not one that you need to spend several days in. You could, if you really wanted to get out and do some long hikes out into the desert but because it's so wide open you can see most everything from the park road or the little walks off of the park road and the little short paved trails they have almost all of the trails are paved and you could push a wheelchair on them or a stroller as we did and uh so you don't really need more than a day a full day is probably best we had about four hours and we were really pressed to do all the things that we wanted to do. Yeah. And we had to give up a few things that I think you and I wanted to do in order to help our boys accomplish their junior ranger program. So perhaps that won't have to be built into your day. So you will get to take some of these trails or stops that we didn't get to stop at, but we did feel like we needed more time. And I said that to you several times during the outing. I said, I wish that we had left earlier and gotten here sooner. Another thing too, if you're going to do a full day is just, especially this time of year, it is very hot. It is very exposed. 
that it is very windy. There are not a lot of places to escape the sun if you're not in your car. But the nice thing, though, is that because you are driving from point A to point B to point C, you get that opportunity to get back in the car, cool down a little bit. But just the one mile loop trail that we did at Crystal Forest, which is really where you're going to get to see the petrified wood. That was a very hot walk. It was so hot that we had people pass us not wearing their shirts. Yeah. A uh, <laughs> couple ladies. and their shirt off. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> and I have to be honest, they were coming at the end of the trail and we were just starting. But by the end of the trail, I looked we're, at you and I said, okay, we understand. Yeah, I get it now. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> it's hot out here. So the park is laid out in such a way that it's sort of uh, tall and skinny north to south. And there is one park road that goes from the northern entrance, which is the painted desert area, to the southern entrance, which is more of the petrified forest. They call it the Rainbow Forest Visitor Center. Really, what you do is take this park road and park at all the different little outcroppings and take the little trails that they have from them to see overlooks, to see uh, different petrified forests and to see the different areas of the Painted Desert. The southern half of the park is more petrified forest, and the northern half of the park is more Painted Desert. And for me, that was that was the most special part. The petrified forest was great as well, but the Painted Desert stuff is, it's really amazing how many different colors there are in this desert landscape and how it changes as you drive through the park. The blues and the purples were just so vivid and beautiful. And part of that northern part of the park, too, is that you can stop off at the Painted Desert Inn, which is a historical landmark now, used to be an inn, I think, in the 1920s. It's a really cool way to kind of go in and see how Route 66 connected to this park and how the park connected to that road. and the really rich history that the painted desert kind of makes up and beautiful just inside the stained glass ceiling in there was so gorgeous. So it might not look like much of a stop, but it's kind of one of the first ones if you're starting on the Northern side and it's absolutely worth stopping, walking through and spending a few minutes in. So there, there is this one park road that goes from the Northern entrance to the Southern entrance and what you can do if you're coming from the west for instance you want to get off of i-40 well before the park and take us 180 which will take you to the southern entrance of the park and then you can you can take the the scenic drive through the park and and do all your touring and it will let you off on the northern entrance at i-40 same thing if you're coming from the other direction if you're coming from the east you can just travel through the park and then leave on on US 180 and that will take you back to I-40 and you save a bit of mileage that way and you don't have to travel through the park twice. Full it, disclosure, we didn't do this. We didn't do that. We did the complete opposite, which is even more of a time waste. <laughs> which is OK, though, because some, yeah. especially I think we're kind of glad we did this because we have a longer rig. We've got a, you know, a full size bus pulling a car behind it i think we were happy to just travel through the park in our car 
if you have a smaller rig, you can absolutely drive, uh, you know, a truck pulling a trailer through there. There are spots. There are only a couple parking lots that you might have an issue at, but most of them have a spot for, for an RV to park. And in hindsight, I think that the Northern visitor center was a little bit more accommodating for big RVs as opposed to the Southern one. So it did cost us a little bit more time and a little bit more fuel, but we were able to leave the bus at the Northern Visitor Center and just drive the van through the park, which was very nice. Yeah. So you could spend as much time as we did, four hours, you could spend a full day. Or if you're just driving through, you could literally just hop off the interstate, take the scenic drive through the park, spend an hour in it, and you'll still see a ton of stuff. And we should mention that it's $20 per vehicle to go in unless of course you have an annual pass or an access pass. So if you want to do that, and I do believe, but I am not for certain that it would be $20 if you had your RV and were pulling yeah, a car. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Okay. So not super expensive and absolutely worth the $20 to take that 28 mile jaunt. If you only have time for that. Yeah. We, so we, we parked at the I-40 Visitor Center, which is the Painted Desert Visitor Center. At that Visitor Center, there is a a little restaurant, which was actually very affordable. Uh, uh, very a, surprising that it was so affordable. Mm-hmm, a private gift shop along with the National Park Service, you know, the little uh, ranger spot with their little National Park Service gift shop. But then there's a bigger private gift shop attached to the restaurant. And then there's also a a gas station with diesel and decent prices. That was very interesting. I've never seen that in a national park. No. And we were trying to figure out the reason why they would want to have one there because again, it's not far off the highway and it's not that far to a gas station. So we were trying to figure out why they wanted their own private. But Hey, if you need to fuel fuel up, uh, it's a, it's a decent spot to do it at. Well, yeah, and hopefully you will be supporting the National Park when you do it. Yeah. So you can do that stuff at that Northern Visitor Center. And we got our we got our Junior Ranger book there. And then we we made the drive through to the Southern Visitor Center and then came back and stopped a few times both directions on. uh, uh, And so at the northern half, you're going to see all the beautiful painted desert stuff, painted desert Inn, which was beautiful. And then about about midway, there is a place called Newspaper Rock, which is a, a rock formation that has petroglyphs on it. And I got to say, there's some amazing petroglyphs here in, in this park. Yeah. At first, when we walked up to it, we couldn't quite figure out where they were or what the what the point of interest was supposed to be at this lookout. And then you kind of look down and there are two rocks. And you start to see that they are covered. One side of each rock is covered in petroglyphs. And they provide telescopes for you to use to look at. And when you get into those telescopes and then you start to really look at the petroglyphs, I was amazed. There, the image of the little tiny foot is so burned into my brain. That one just really caught me off guard. And then there was another beautiful one that looked like the rising sun with an arrow pointing in the direction that the sun rises. I Just incredible. And I said to you as we were walking away, I don't think I will ever not be amazed 
by petroglyphs. Yeah, and there there are more petroglyphs here on these couple rocks than than we've seen in any other like concentration of of petroglyphs. Even Except after, for maybe at Petroglyph National Monument. But even there, like you didn't <laughs> see as many on one rock. This is know? true, yes. You maybe see three or four on one rock. And here there might have been fifty on one rock. Oh, I'd go that one particular rock, I'd go close to say that there might have even been 75 to 100. So one thing I want to recommend, though, is you know there, there are these three telescopes there, and there's one for short people, and there's two for tall people. And I would recommend bringing your own binoculars. And if you have a camera, bringing a long lens so you, that you can get uh, a close-up shot, because you do not get close to these at all. You're not allowed to get close to them. And you really can't see them with the naked eye. And I imagine, especially when the park's busier, that it's hard to, you know, get in line to get on one of those telescopes. Yeah. One of the really cool things about the park, too, is that they do say that they have evidence of humans inside the park dating back as far as 13,000 years. So there is evidence of life outside of just this petrified forest. And some of it is using the petrified trees to make tools so they have in the visitor center some knives and arrowheads and things like that that are made out of these petrified trees yeah i would say jason was really in love with the painted desert and it was very very beautiful i would say for our kids and even for me a little bit too it was the petrified forest it was the petrified wood that i think held our interest because it is very rare that we get to walk into at least for us in the parks that we have been to so far to be able to walk into the park and say to my kids, that piece of wood right now that has now become solid rock once stood tall during the Triassic period. A dinosaur could have brushed up against that tree trunk that you are now looking at. And if you have dinosaur loving kids like we do, boy, does that hit home. So 220 million years ago, it's it's really impressive to just think that that it still looks like a tree, but it's stone. And, and the amount <laughs> so of you, petrified wood in the park. So if you're coming from the north, you see bits of it. You see a few trees down here and there. And and after you leave that sort of that, after you leave that newspaper rock area, you go through a little bit more painted desert. And then you really start to drive through some petrified forests. And then we got out at the crystal forest and did, and did that trail. There And then at the South Visitor Center, there's also a ton of petrified rock right at the, the Visitor Center there that you can walk through. I think there's a trail that goes around the Visitor Center that we didn't have time to do. There is. And there's also some great exhibits inside that Rainbow Forest Visitor Center that talk about the trees and the Triassic period. And they had a little archaeological area where the kids could actually go in and dig for dinosaur bones, which our seven-year-old and five-year-old absolutely loved. And they also have in the area for the kids, the ability to touch some of the petrified wood. And I really appreciated that because it was, and it is incredibly hard not to touch. You absolutely should not touch, but you want to, because you know that it looks like wood, but you know that it's not. So for the kids to be able to go inside the visitor center and put their hands on it after being so good about not touching it and not taking it, because that is apparently an issue at this park. 
that people take the petrified wood, then they feel really bad that they took the petrified wood and they try to send it back to the park, but they can't return it to nature because people have handled it. Yeah, I guess the Park Service gets all kinds of mail with petrified wood in it and detailed directions of where to return it to (laughs) and they can't do it. And in fact, when you go to leave the park, you do have to stop and they can have the option to search your car and see if you have decided to collect some of the wood on your way out. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please leave that 220 million year old tree exactly where it fell. And to be honest, the only petrified wood is not in petrified forest national park all around. There are gift shops nearby where you can go buy a petrified piece of wood or a claimed piece of petrified wood. I would have to have it verified. I don't know. I would hope it looks like wood. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, if you can't take it from the park and it's such a rare thing to have, I'm always a little leery when I go into a gift shop and they claim to have the exact same thing. There is no camping in the park. There's really no camping right nearby. Uh, So you do have to take a little bit of time to get there. And the, the main reason that we were so pressed for time is that the park does close at five o'clock every day and that's year round. They're open eight to five. So you really can't, you know, get there in the late afternoon and have a whole lot of time to spend in the park, which is a little frustrating because of the heat. It's nice to avoid the heat of the day and it would be a really cool place to see some sunsets. Uh, but it does close at five. They have gates that lock and, and, and such. So You do need to get out of there unless you are doing some backcountry camping in a tent. One other thing we should mention, too, which kind of threw us off a little bit, is the time zone issue here in this park. So they are on mountain time, but they do not at this time of year observe daylight savings time. Arizona does not observe daylight savings time. So you're close to New Mexico, so your phone might not be. Yeah. Updated yet, or it might be confused at the whole daylight savings time, mountain time thing. So just kind of keep that in mind because our phones were kind of going a little wonky and crazy on us. And we originally thought that it was three o'clock. And I kept saying, we've only got two hours. And then all of a sudden, the phones were like, it's two o'clock. And all of a sudden, we gained an hour. We had three hours still to go in the park. So just know that. They have clocks in the visitor center that will tell you exactly what time it is right where you are. If for whatever reason, your phone does not want to cooperate with you. So check out Petrified Forest National Park. We really loved it. Whether you have an hour or whether you have a half day or a full day or more to give to it. It's a really special place uh, for a lot of different reasons. All right, let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. This one is a number series. Can you find out the next digit in the following series? I'm out already. I'm just going to sit back and let you do this. <laughs> zero, zero, one, three, two, six, three, nine, four, twelve, five. What is the next number in that series? I'll say it again. Zero, zero, one, three, two, six, three. Nine, four, twelve, five. If you think you know the answer, send us an email at editor at rvmiles.com or a Facebook message or a Twitter message, however you want to send it to us. And you may win 
a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt from our little Amazon collection. Our Amazon collection, the RV Miles Amazon collection. (laughs) All right, that's this week's episode. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be back after a little bit of a break. If you are enjoying the podcast, and we hope that you are, we would really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes or when you're hosting your next RV get-together, maybe you could share with your guests that you listen to the RV Miles podcast and they should too. But whatever you do, thank you so much for joining us this week and keep logging those RV miles. Bye. Bye.